I'm Andrew Gentile. And I'm Ariana. And you're listening to Behind the Flicks. This show is all about me sharing as many facts as I know about filmmaking and directors and behind-the-scenes info about movies and whatnot to Ariana. And you'll join us for the ride. Ariana, we're going to do something a little uh, different this episode. For the first time ever, I'm going to have you introduce this episode's guest. Oh, snap. I'm feeling the responsibility. And also because I didn't write a script for this, so let's just go for it. (laughs) You're doing great. Don't worry about it. Today's podcast episode guest is Mr. Matt Lindsay. Hello. It's a me. Round of applause, everybody. Round of applause. Oh, please. No applause. (laughs) It's all good. (laughs) This is my very good friend. We've known each other for years now. And what I know of Matt is that he knows everything about everything when it comes to comics, pop culture, any of these fun kind of movies that come from video games. I mean, he's got a brain for days about this stuff. And TMNT is one of his all-time favorites. Can't yes. wait to hear him nerd out about it. I'm real excited for you guys to hear what he has to say. Oh, you're, you're going to hear me nerd about Matt it. Matt Lindsay. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Nice to kind of meet you because I already know you and I kind of know you. And everyone listening at home, I probably don't know you. But nice to meet you, too. Thank you very much, Matt. Uh, we're thrilled to have you on this podcast episode, and uh, you know I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of reverse it a little bit. Uh, usually we have uh, Ariana do her review first, but I think it's a I think I'm gonna ask you first, Matt. <gasps> why did you choose so Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles for this episode, and why do you like it? Why did I pick it? Well, I mean, I think that's pretty a biased answer, right? It's because I like the series, <laughs> but um, T- tell that- us. Oh, Nerd gosh, out. Go ahead. There's so much I could say. Like this is a podcast. Right, so, it's gonna be five hours long if you'd like. That's just true. Good point. So younger Mateo, in the olden days of yore, uh, I was introduced to Ninja Turtles because of my parents. Um, when I was younger, my th- parents obviously they were like, "Hey, you need to do something other than you know doing video games and stuff." And it was between hockey and martial arts. And at the time, I was like, well, martial arts sounds way less stressful than hockey. So why don't we go do that? Uh, And that got me into a lot of things. Um, Actually, Mortal Kombat is a huge thing for me as well. My dad actually, this is how old I am. My dad bought it on a floppy disk for a PC. The (laughs) very, very first one. I still have it somewhere. Um and then it went into Ninja Turtles and it just happened that they found a VHS tape and it was the 90s movie and I knew nothing about the Turtles and that was literally my first foray into the Turtles. What? The tur- yep. the ni- this 1990 movie is your introduction yes. to TMNT? Yep. Wow, I feel honored. And then the arcade Same games here. and the cartoons and everything else happened after that. But uh, yeah, so this movie is a big part of my life. And I love it. I literally just watched it before the podcast today so I could get remembering things. And I ended up writing like five pages of notes so that when I say things, I know I'm going to say them correctly. Because there's a lot about this movie and TMNT in general that you could talk about. (laughs) There's there's a lot. Yes. I agree with you. I do have a follow-up question, if I may. Oh, of course. I Something I didn't quite understand. You said hockey led into a lot of things. No, sorry. 
M- martial arts did. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm totally yeah. misunderstood. Yeah, hockey went to Ninja Turtles somehow, right? And, no, <laughs> sorry. No, I, 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 I mean, totally misunderstood. there's it's some okay. association. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's okay. I mean, they did have that. They did have that live action musical tour, which we will not talk about because that is a thing. <laughs> and I will. I mean, I'll talk about it if I have to, but it, mm, no. Yeah, no. we, we don't need to bless the audience's ears with that. Well, this movie led into that. So eventually mm. I might delve into it, but sure. yeah, no, not, not right now. That's mm, no, <laughs> I, I, I want you, I want Matt unplugged. I want you to Long just ball. go full in because we, okay, here's my, here's my motivation. You want to know yes. my motivation, Matt? Yes. We need free content. And this is Fair. the epi- this is the show where we just need as much content as possible in order to oh. really delve into each fan base of each movie community. You see what I'm doing here? Yeah. I do. <laughs> and by the, oh, and by the oh, way, oh Andrew, you you do not know what you ask. You don't. No, you hand. really don't. Let me put it to you this way: I'm a teacher that teaches yeah. college level, and I have a pop culture class literally being planned out. Uh, we're going to talk about Pokemon next semester for 20 weeks. I literally just talked about this movie five weeks ago. <laughs> so okay. I am prepared. I, I feel like this ready. should be part of the introduction. <laughs> you're you're, you're I, a professor? Yes, um, I okay. am. I, uh, so, but you're winding like, you're, you're, to the you're, intro. But you're, um, like tw- you're like 20, right? I'm 30, but thank no. you for thinking I'm only 20. I appreciate that. I'm almost 30. Anyway. I am Looking 30. Yeah. Thank you. You you look good, man. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Looking better than me, I'll tell you that much. Uh, don't say that. Uh, yeah, um, I'm a professor. Uh, I t- Currently, I teach at a nonprofit um, called the College of Adaptive Arts, and we um, we give a collegiate college-level education to adults with, like, down syndrome, autism, Asperger's syndrome, stuff like that. Uh, I've been with them for 10 years. I've been in mostly, I volunteered for like three or four years and I've worked there for six to seven years on the books. So love my job. And yeah, I have a video game business and economics class. I have a pop culture class. I help with some art classes. I have a background and degree in animation and stuff like that. So that helps a lot with my classes. Nice. Um, and I have a YouTube channel, which I just do for fun because why not? Gives me a reason to play video games. Trust me, we're going to have you promote all that at the end as well. <laughs> okay, sure, sounds good. But we're fir- going to talk about turtles. That's, yes, yes. So, um, sorry. Oh no! Please, you you're the one in charge of the podcast. You tell me when to speak. I'm I'm just here. <laughs> um, no, you're our guest. You can interrupt us anytime you'd like. Um, so, uh, unless, uh, Matt, unless you have anything in terms, more in terms of why do you love this movie? Uh, excuse me. Sorry. Well, uh, I, I, I can, I can ask Ariana to give her review. You know what? Save me for last because I think reasons why I like this movie are going to go more into talking about the movie more. So by all means, you guys go first. Sure. Ariana, can we get a review of this episode's film? Well, well, this episode's film is the 1990 Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. The movie, the one that I grew up on. I um, same here. I hadn't watched this movie since 
the 90s, probably. Uh, it was more like a movie that my brothers watched that I would just hop on board with every once in a while because my brother, both my, my older brothers, I'm the youngest of three. It's fair. Are huge fans. They love this movie and uh, they love all the characters and they probably read some of the comic books. And rewatching it, I, um, <laughs> I mean, it's got that 90s magic to it. You know, it's wholesome. It's a little bit corny. Um, the playfulness between all of the Ninja Turtles is really, really good. Mm-hmm. Way more than I thought, I think I've seen from later, more current uh, Turtles movies. For sure. And um, I do, I gotta say, something I love about older movies is the lack of CGI that's involved in them mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. for real. <laughs> I mean, I'm, sh- I'm sure we are going to cover the costuming for this film, but watching yes. it like with real uh, costumes and real makeup and knowing that these are things that you could physically touch if you happen to be on set that day uh, creates a, a connection to the film that I really, really like. It's much better, I think, than any of the CGI stuff we have these days, despite how cool it looks. I like the real thing. And um, I just it's a fun movie. I mean, it's a real easy uh, storyline to follow. It gives you some drama. It gives you some real villainy that without having to talk too much or be too corny, and um, it's just Ooh. a lot of fun to watch. It's a wild ride the whole time, and it and it layers a lot of humanity and emotion inside. So it's it's that's what makes it timeless. I feel like is that it's not just there to watch them fight or to watch these turtles bicker at each other uh, in a brotherly loving way. Uh, there's lots of you know about fatherhood and friendship and um, you know protecting each other. It's uh, it's just um, it's a little magical little '90s movie, and I really liked it. I I mean I'd give this uh, I mean I it, this an easy B for me, easy B, just because it's so much fun to watch. Matt, I I could get I could give how I feel, feel about the movie uh, first give my take but i feel like you have a reaction can i hear, hear your reaction? Oh, no it's just i i'm a hardcore ninja turtles fan yeah and it's He's like, like on B? Instinct. B? i don't know it's really what it's like how dare you but no i i understand oh you're not gonna like what i have to say <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, okay you know what no 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 for, this is fair you, it's it's good my thing is i'm a hardcore ninja turtles fan and the movie was made the fans of the comics that makes sense more so than anybody that was a fan of the cartoons stuff like that mm-hmm. so if you weren't really a fan of like the grittier comics that were bloody full of alcohol violent whatever like of course people aren't really going to like it compared to a lot of the newer movies nowadays so i under but please what well, is your take i'm i'm intrigued <laughs> now some i i wish to um I mean, I, Andrew will reveal himself for all of the wonderful that he is in his <laughs> description. Um, but something you should know is that Andrew is not part of the category of newer movie, uh, mm. easily satisfied people. He is, uh, you know, he writes his films, he directs films, he knows a lot about right. older uh, okay. films that, you know, caught the eye of cinema and um, very artistic and intuitive Ooh, me- and fantastic. Mm. And so his, his judgments ah. of movies tend to be very, like... He looks at everything from a story artistic perspective. So it's he's not the easiest one to please. But we have disagreed <laughs> on many a movie. You know what though? I appreciate I appreciate the differences in opinion because that's what makes these fun. Yeah. Right? So I, I just did a discussion with some people from my YouTube channel about Resident Evil video games. And I'm someone who's like, I like some of them. They exist. 
And then I had a friend that was like, no, the older games are the better games. Tank controls everything. And so that was fun. And that's what makes those fun is that you see all those different angles of different moviegoers and video game lovers and everything else. So yeah. with that said, though, what did you think about it? Well, first, now I have to respond to Ariana. Um, <laughs> so I, you see, Ariana is my best friend to everybody who's listening uh, out in the world. I totally disagree with her when I just what she just said, um, <laughs> because um, first of all, to call to call me uh, a movie historian is 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 uh, lies. It is. Uh, <laughs> It is uh, a sacrilege. It is slander <laughs> to other uh, the Martin Scorsese's the Martin Scorsese's of this world. Um, but um, also, what I'm going to say is that you know, as much as I love, uh, let's let's say like an artistic movie like Ingmar Bergman's Persona, for example, that's generally mm. my top ten favorite movies ever. I love The Muppet Christmas Carol. Oh, uh, that's in my top 10 favorite. Oh, movies I love that movie. It's so I love good. that movie too. Oh my God. We did. We did an episode on it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm down to talk about Christmas movies. I was thinking about doing it anyway on my own. So I watched like five of them last year and I was like, I could talk so much about these. Same here. But we're not going to do that this episode. No, 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 no. Um, sorry, man. That's, that's, we got, we got to stay on, stay on track. No, no, no. It's okay. Uh, it's all right. It's all right. Uh, no, but, um, but uh, and so that's my response to Ariana. So I love you, but I gotta disagree with you in this case. All right, fine. Uh, you have to tell the world the truth. It's okay. <laughs> just kidding. Um, <laughs> just kidding. Are Go you? Ahead. Are you? Uh, tell uh, tell so, us your real thoughts about the turtles. How did this movie make you feel? So okay, and I'm gonna add one more caveat before Uh-oh. I dive into uh, what I have to say about the movie. Okay. I it, it's my philosophy. Uh, here at uh, Behind the Flicks at Independent Creator Studios to treat every movie with the same seriousness, the same analytical eye, and the same majesty as Citizen Kane, as Alfred Hitchcock's Vertigo. So I kind of want to, you know, I I, I give each movie a fair chance here at Independent Creator Studios Mm. and at uh, Behind the Flicks. I appreciate that. Uh, Of course. And and by the way, in terms of my history with the film, I think I saw it last when I was like 10, 11, 12 mm-hmm. from Blockbuster. Yeah. Renting it from Blockbuster. I remember Hollywood Video. That was my jam. Oh, God. But it's basically the same thing yeah, for those yeah. who don't know. I, I was a sellout. Um, <laughs> I, was, I, I, was, I was a rich kid um, who was able to go to the, the more uh, – chain video store the more hoity-toity the more hoity-toity the bigger selection hollywood was pretty hoity-toity though i gotta say oh, really yeah they I were never so hoity- well they were so hoity-toity eventually they had all these games that they're like well what do we do with we can't just get rid of them and they made a freaking video game store called game crazy but wow. you could actually go in i remember buying so many new brand new games for the ps3 i bought stuff for the i bought my gamecube there at one point they had PS, but they had everything. It was such a good store. Anyway. Fantastic. Yes. Anyway, Blockbuster. Mm. Yes. Yes. But, I remember those days. But I I remember watching Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles on like my parents' like four by three television, you know, the box television. Yes. And the uh, television. The 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 television. <laughs> uh not not HD. No. Not 
not terrible 4K, quality. terrible quality. You had to rewind it and you'd make this. Yeah, noise. yeah, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, and I, I just remember thinking, this is fantastic. You know, this is mm-hmm. like they really got into like the nitty gritty of like how the turtles arcs, how how the turtles, uh, like the turtles backstory. I believe the turtles are real. Right. Watching it now, it's a little Here different. A little different. It is. No, you know what? Um, I agree with you. It is a little and, different. But here's here's the thing. The movie changed for me a, a little bit since I last saw it. Yeah. Um, what happened was that I thought I, I what I remembered when I was 10, 11, 12 was, um, was like, I, I believe the turtles were real. Watching it now, I, I, I realize... Okay, for example, I watched Unbreakable a few weeks ago. Have you oh, seen Unbreakable? Oh, I have seen Unbreakable. Okay, I believe believe Bruce Willis's superhero powers were real mm-hmm. in that movie. Comparing it to this movie, it's kind of like, it, it takes all logic and says, "Nah, fuck that. We're just gonna, <laughs> we're just, <laughs> we're just uh, think radioactive ooze. It's fine. The turtles <laughs> crawl in there. It's fine. Yeah. Um, so but." That's the explanation. But you know what? That's the thing. That's the thing. If you're a cinema goer and you're going into a movie called Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and expecting logic, <laughs> you're you're in the wrong theater, my friend. Uh, so this is a and so and so when I when I first okay no 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 hear me out hear hear me no, out Matt no hear me I, out I, I agree with you because my I'm not father, done yet okay I'll, I'll wait go ahead, go ahead. okay. So here's the thing. Here's the thing, Matt. So uh, at first, I, I I I realized my memory was first of all wrong, and right, secondly, right. what I realized was that okay, I just have to recategorize this in my head as a '90s fantasy movie, right? Because that's what it is. It is. And on that note, um, I'm gonna say that uh, it 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 holds out. It holds up well for a '90s fantasy movie. Yes. Um, I liked it a little less than Ariana. Um, I'm sorry, Matt. It's okay. I'd give it a B minus. Um, same same level that I gave Star Trek Nemesis for whatever that's worth. I haven't seen it, so I don't know. Yeah, it it, it it's a B minus. Also, if uh, you, you know, in terms of the wokeness of the movie, it's mm-hmm. not a very woke movie. No. Like like uh, there was a there. there <laughs> There, there, there was a, like, I, I just remember, uh, there was a line when, when the ninjas are not the ninjas, but the, uh, the foot clan. They're still ninjas, but you know. Okay. The foot clan ninjas. Excuse me. I I was trying to distinguish from the turtle ninjas and the, I mean, I'll know Um, who who you're talking about. They're wannabe ninjas. Okay. They don't know the real qualities that a ninja needs to possess. Yeah. Like the power family. Yes. They knew family power before Fast and the Furious. <laughs> yes. That's one last sc- one last ride. It's kind of five scary sequels later. When you put that in perspective, like so many movies had the power of family before Fast and the Furious, but they yes. needed a meme. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Anyway, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You're talking about the Foot Clan. No, you're fine. Good. Uh, this is what the podcast is about. It's all about digression. <laughs> I appreciate getting, that. Getting into the nitty gritty. Yes. Um, but in terms of the Foot Clan, uh, they like how they followed April o- O'Neill down to the subway, 
And then when they confront April O'Neil in full ninja uh, attire, uh, April O'Neil says, oh, sorry, did I miss my Sony payments? And I'm just like, they chose an Asian company to for that joke. <laughs> I mean, it was made by an Asian company. Yeah, so. that's that's my point. Is is like she? Oh she my chose... god, I didn't think about that joke. Now you see what I mean, though. It's you. See, you it's it's a you little know, racist. It's a little racist, right? I mean, and, and 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 you know, the Splinter says the the art of ninja in that very in that very yeah. in that very. And it's like, I I don't think that, I think, nin, I don't know. Anyway, so it, it didn't feel very something. woke to me. Yeah, oh boy, oh boy, I'm getting crazy. No, because I wrote down who actually did the, the characters. Was Splinter yeah. played by a, no, Kevin Clash. Uh-oh. I don't, I'm not sure. I, I didn't look up everything about the, the people who played everybody in the movie. But I wanted to have that on standby because I because yeah. I found something very interesting that I, I'll bring up later about it. But please do. I don't think Kevin Clash was okay. But either way, I like him as Splinter. Oh, me too. He's great. No, 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 no. He's great. Um, I'm sorry. That's the end. That's so B minus. It's a it's a really. It, I I like how serious how seriously they took it for the source material, mm-hmm. and uh, I. I think that some of the dot again, this is all I'm analyzing it at a level of of okay, how does this hold up as a movie? And that doesn't quite apply, mm. <laughs> if you know what I mean. It's a it, and and so it's kind of like um the some of the dialogue could could use another pass in terms of the screenwriting, mm-hmm. I think. Like I I I I like in the opening scene, uh, the reporter says a line and then repeats that line later. So mm-hmm. I just feel like as a, as a, f- me as a faux screenwriter, I, um, <laughs> I, no Ar- screenwriter? uh, Ariana's leaning into the camera for those of you who are listening and kind of oh. glaring at me. So as a faux screenwriter, I kind of like, uh, I kind of like wince at that a little bit. I kind of wince at that a little bit. Like, okay, this needs a little, n- just another pass. Um, so that's kind of the little things that kind of bring it down a little bit. Um, anyway, that's my, the end of my review, Matt, I want to hear you tell me your part. So I'm going to say something about my rating, but it's probably going to sound very contradictory to what I'm going to say, which is very interesting. I think I'm going to, I have to rate this twice. The reason why is because if you look at it as a TMNT movie, this is like an S this is like a lot of the TMNT movies should borrow things from this movie, if anything, because it, like you said, it's not a perfect movie, which is the contradictory statement. It's not a perfect movie. It's not amazing. And it's not spectacular. But the thing is, it was made with a small budget when it started and it went up to 13 million, which still is pretty cheap when you think about movies And it still gross $200 million, right, worldwide. And I think when you think about it that way, it's not the best movie. It's it's the Batman. It's not the movie that we needed, but it's the movie that we deserved, right? Yes, yes. Because at the time when this movie came out, Turtles Mania was in the middle of its heyday. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, it started in the seven in like the eighties, and in the nineties is when like people like me grew up with it. And the movie was a lot of people's first foray into Turtles. It was never meant to be a blockbuster. It was meant to be serviceable to the fans for what they had. But if you're talking about it from a cinema standpoint, yes, it's not an S-rank movie. I know I am a fan who is okay with finding flaws and saying, yes, they exist. I'm not one of those super fans that's like, oh, the flaws don't exist. It's perfect. Oh, why are you so cruel? (laughs) So I would give this movie like an A minus high B around that category. Because I agree, there are things about it that if you don't know anything about the movie going in, you're like, oh, it's it's a good movie. It's serviceable. It's fine. It's what you expect from a TMNT movie. That said, I think the second movie, Secret of the Ooze, is more akin to if you're a fan of the cartoon, you'll be a fan of the second movie. If you enjoy the comics, you're more a fan of the first movie. The third movie does not exist. There is no Turtles in Time movie. It, it, there, there was none. And <laughs> there was a third movie? We don't talk about the third movie. It's like we don't no, talk I'm, about Bruno. I'm, no, I'm kidding. I've seen it when I was younger. Anyway. I tried watching it recently. I only got through 10 minutes. And my friend looked at me and he's like, we can turn this off, right? And I was like, yep. <laughs> we turned it off. <laughs> Okay, I, I actually do genuinely want to hear this. Uh, Matt. Oh, no. <laughs> so, so um, I remember when I was a kid seeing the CGI TMNT movie in theaters. What are your thoughts on that? I, I don't remember it. I love it. Okay. I, I think it's great. Okay, good. I got to see it then. Uh, okay. Watch it. Here's the thing with the 2008, I think it was 2008 yeah, TMNT yeah, yeah. movie. I was like 10. It was supposed to technically be an ending to the 2003 show, but mm. it also technically wasn't. Mm. It's weird. Um, the CGI work is great. Um, the creators of that movie were supposed to make a trilogy. They were supposed to make a Battle of the Planets movie, which would have been sick. Um, they had a t- teaser trailer for it like the year after TMNT came out, and it looked awesome. But they went out of business, sadly. They uh. got the voice of Uncle Iroh and Aku to play Splinter. And it sounds a little weird, but once you realize who it is, you're like, okay, I'm, 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 I'm able to just imagine Uncle Iroh as Splinter and it works. Um, it's not a, I wouldn't, see, I like the movie, but I know a lot of people don't. And it, and that's a legit, I, I would give that movie a lower rating than the 90s movie, but I still highly enjoy it. Gotcha. That was just that was a total side tangent that I was just curious okay. on. Okay. Uh, that, that no no no. You answered my question. I just got us off track. Anyway. It's okay. It's cool. not. I mean, we're still on track. We're talking about Ninja Turtles. Sweet. Technically. Agreed. Um, Ariana, did you have more to your review, or can, can I can I bring up a note that I had just just yes. in my own research? I'm, no, I'm good. I'm good. Okay, Matt. Hmm. This is this is I. I'm going to be thoroughly, we're going to be best friends if you know this fact. I might. Okay. So, so in my Wikipedia research, I, I, okay. So I was, I wanted to see if there was an audio commentary to this movie, like a director's audio commentary or a cast audio commentary to see if I could find a, like a primary source for my research. Turns out. That the only audio commentary 
on any home media release for this movie was in a German DVD and it was recorded by the director. Do you know this? I know it, but I have not heard of it because Okay, you know I but you know you know but this I know fact. it exists, yeah. You know this fact. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay, I love you. So oh, oh, trust me, you might love me more by the end of this podcast because there is a lot to talk about with this film if you really want to get into it and why well, I, I, get into I, it. I wrote I wrote three facts. I, I mean I wrote three pages oh, of notes. I have one, two, three, four, five, six. Oh, seven, I'm sure eight. you do. I have a lot. <laughs> oh, I'm sure you do. Please. The war yes. of the facts. No, this is great. I, I have not been able to nerd about this movie to anybody in so long, except for my students, but that was only an hour long class. So uh, there's only so much you can do in one hour, you know? Right. <laughs> um, but I just want to talk about the audio commentary for a second because it's, it's, sure. it's this, the, Ariana, you're kind of out of the conversation for a second, but, <laughs> okay, bye. um, but, um, in terms of the audio commentary, it's so funny because the director's name, it, like you expect it to be like a California guy who's like, Hey man, I just decided to direct this movie because I was smoking too much ganja. Right. And uh, <laughs> no, the guy's name is Steve ba- Steve Barron, who's like a Englishman, uh, a Brit, and mm-hmm. he's so so on the audio commentary. He's like, "Well, when I decided to do the uh, Ninja Tattoos, I was uh, I was talking to my friend, uh, uh, talking <laughs> to my friend, eating tea and crumpets." A- anybody who listens to audio commentaries knows. That in the foreground of the like in the mm-hmm. in the foreground of the audio commentary is the person's commentary, but in the background of the movie's playing. But because it's a German, it's on a German DVD. It's a German dub of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles yep. movie. So, <laughs> so they're it, screaming in German, and then he's just like, "Oh yes," and then I I, I decided to go for a well, no, no, no. <laughs> well, yeah, that's close. But in the foreground, you hear hear Steve Barron going, uh. I directed an episode of Jim Henson's The Storyteller. And yeah. then in the background, you hear a very quiet, Cowabunga! So that kind of thing. So that's what, that's what you hear in the foreground, in the background. Um, anyway, that's my rant on the audio commentary. Actually, funny about the audio commentary, technically, there were more than one director on this film, but Steve Barron's name is attached to it, but there's technically... Brian Henson. There's another one. Okay, I want... I Okay, so first we're going to get into the history of the comic books. Yes. Then let's oh. dive into the movie. You know, that's actually probably a good idea because to really understand... I why go- the movie did so good when it did. I would like to bring up exhibit A, which is the Ghostbusters lightning in a bottle effect. It was the perfect movie at the perfect time in a perfect place in history. This movie happened because Turtle Mania was on the rise. It was in the middle of its heyday and the movie just catapulted it even more so Oh, he already has a hand up. Yes, Andrew. Prof- uh, 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 Professor Lindsay. Yes. I, I want to go even before that. Oh, I know. Oh, I'm getting uh, to the comics. Okay, okay. Go. You, you know what? I'm so sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> no, no, no. It's okay. It's all right. Don't worry about it. Um. All right. Well, where do we start? Uh. Okay. I know where to start. So Turtles was created by uh, two men called Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird. 
And uh, Kevin Eastman went to go get a newspaper job. And he had some drawings and he wanted to get an illustrator job for the the local newspaper. And they were like, eh, you know what? We don't really want to hire you, but your work reminds us of this other guy. Maybe you could become friends or whatever. Here, go, go find him. And that's how he and Laird met. And he and Laird became best friends. They were into comic books and all these other things. And it it got to a point where Laird and his wife got a house and they realized, you know, Kevin, why don't you just live with us? Because then you won't have to make these long treks back and forth and you guys can, I don't know, do something with your work. And he was like, it's a great idea. So they did. And um, they were literally like set up in one of the rooms of the house. And the reason why Mirage Comics was called Mirage Comics was it was literally one day this will be a studio. One day being the key word. <laughs> and for a long time, it wasn't. Eastman worked at a restaurant. Laird was doing like a bunch of odd jobs. And then somewhere in 1984, Kevin made basically Michelangelo as the very first Ninja Turtle. And he showed it to Laird. Laird thought it was the funniest thing ever. And then he thought about it. And then he's like, well, what if I add another one? And then Eastman saw it and he goes, well, screw you. I'm going to add more. And eventually we got the whole mythos of the TMNT literally made in a tiny room in their house. And um, the funny thing about Ninja Turtles, and this is kind of where the movie's gritty, dark, and like the comics comes in. Did you know they're linked to Daredevil? Explain. Compelling. So... There's two ways that, that they're, it's connected. Number one, the inspiration. They were both very big fans of Frank Miller's run on Daredevil. He also made a comic called Ronin, which I sadly have not read yet. I really I read to. it. Was it good? Oh, it's excellent. Okay, good. I will find it then. Um, and then the other connection. Do you know why the foot is called the foot? Because it's the opposite of the hands. And the hand is the ninja group that Daredevil fights. Do you know why Splinter's called Splinter? Because his master in Daredevil's named Stick. <laughs> so I know. Not, so question, is this kind of like a parody of It was. Daredevil? Oh, okay. Ninja Turtles literally started as a joke. It was never supposed to kick off to what we have now. It was literally a, yo, Laird, wouldn't it be funny if we created a, a, a four-talking ninja kung fu turtles that fought nin other ninjas and it was dark and gritty? And then they were like, screw it, we're just going to do it. And it's so to the point of being a satire of Daredevil. The canister of ooze that turns the turtles into the turtles fell out of the van that gave Daredevil his blindness. Oh, shit. <laughs> it's literally referenced in the first black and white comic. And you're like, wow, they had some balls to go up against Marvel like that. Yeah. Wow. And, um, yeah, and... It's all connected. It is. And it's funny, too, because you realize that was how comics were during that time period. They were dark and gritty and bloody and... They were very like edgy, you know, and very before the the two thousands angst and emo ness came in. And um, the funniest thing though is how they got the Renaissance names. How do you guys think they came up with with the names for the Ninja Turtles? I want to know. 
What do you think? Well, go ahead. I am going to get it wrong because I just looked at the Wikipedia page. Um, I know I'm, I'm a, this is why I call myself, this is why I call myself a faux historian. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not real. Well, of course, well, apparently what I, I just read like a quick quote from one of the creators. I don't even remember who, which, I mean, which one, excuse me. Mm -hmm. Um, but they said it was just quirky enough to make it work. I don't know. It's technically true. Okay. It sounded cool, right? No. Okay. So that I'm just gonna mark myself down as wrong. Ariana, what do you think? Oh, I have no idea. Uh, I was just gonna say all I know about the 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 turtle names is that I watched Hannah Gatsby stand up her second one, um, <laughs> Douglas I think it's called, where she talks about how everyone thinks that they're all these big Renaissance painters, but that one of them does not belong in the category at all, so that she doesn't understand how they got all four names like that. It's I don't really which one it is though. It's funny because they technically did have a female Ninja Turtle. Um, well, technically there's two. There was one that came after the 90s movie. Saban made a live action Power Rangers-esque show called The Next Mutation. But instead of calling the female turtle an actual female Italian Renaissance painter name, they called her Venus de Milo. I know. It's weird. And then the new one, Jenica, is actually really cool because she was like an ex-foot ninja that is on the turtle side now and she got a blood transfusion because she was dying and now she's she wears a yellow bandana and she has wolverine claws and she's awesome. Uh, but that's beside the point. The re- So do you remember how in the movie Splinter said, I had a book of Renaissance painters and that's how he named the turtles? That's literally what happened in real life. They were going to be called something Japanese, but they couldn't think of anything that sounded or was cool in Japanese. They're like, this isn't going to work. And then one of them was like, well, I got this book on Renaissance painters. You want to use that? And he's like, okay, sure. Yeah. That, yeah, that, I, I do remember them debating the name. So that, that part I do remember. I just wasn't <laughs> sure, uh, I, I'm just going off my notes. I just didn't write that part. Oh, no, that's okay. Anyway. Don't worry about it. Um, what I think is more funny is that they just put it into the movie as a real I know. Thing. They, it's in the <laughs> comic, too. It's literally every version of the TMNT, even the 2003. I can say it verbatim. Like I, I'm thinking of it in my head. I had a book of old Renaissance painters, and it, I loved the thing, and I named them after my favorite artists. And you're just like, wow, that's actually how it worked. All right, cool. I have a newfound respect for that little Easter egg now. Uh-huh. Um, but the I think the interesting thing about the comic book era of TMNT was the fact that you got everybody listening at home too. You have to remember this is an inde- this was an independent comic book. This was not owned by Marvel or DC or anybody at the time. This book, the very first TMNT comic, you had to put out an ad in a comic buyer's guide to get it mailed to your house because they couldn't find anybody interested in putting it in their store. They sold 3,000 issues, which was every book that they printed after getting a loan out from, um, I think it was Eastman's uncle. Was it Laird's uncle? One of the two. And uh, in a few weeks, they sold they sold them all. 
and then they did a second run of 6,000 copies, and then they did one of 30,000 copies, and the book, through the mail, eventually was distributed in stores because people were like, wow, this thing's actually uh, actually selling pretty good. (laughs) It's actually (laughs) making money. And it's crazy to think about, too, because in only three years, they sold nine issues. And I want to bring something up really quick because this is, I think, this is what I was getting to is the most fascinating thing as a person who studies and has to teach pop culture. In 2018, Spider-Man number 797 sold 128,000 copies. It's a pretty good number, right? In 1986, the eighth issue of TMNT, a tiny little independent comic book, that had a crossover with Dave Sims' Cerebus, which was another independent comic, sold 135,000 copies. It sold more than Spider-Man today. That's scary when you think about that. It's fascinating. It's They didn't hilarious. have the internet. They didn't have the internet. They didn't have... And they didn't have the... That's my point. It's yeah. like, wow. Again, lightning in a bottle, right? Yeah. There, there was something about the TMNT that was so... It just was there. And all of a sudden, all these people wanted... uh, There was an RPG book of TMNT released by Paladin Books or whatever they're called. There was so... There was all these other merchandising things for Turtles. And then Mark Friedman came in. And Mark Friedman is the guy who got us the TMNT cartoon. He's the one that got us the Playmates toys. After just nine issues of the original comic? Yeah. They had only really sold like nine or ten because they were only making them a couple months, every couple months, right? So, but the Turtles were so popular that they're like, well, maybe there's money here. We could invest in other things. And that's, again, Mark Friedman was this big time Hollywood agent that came down just like every other agent that they'd met. And he was like, okay, I'll make you guys a deal. I'll give you guys a 30-day non-exclusive agreement to test the water out. And if I can't give you a deal you both don't like, you can fire me. It'll be like it never happened. And they're like, okay. And he immediately went to Playmates Toys, who were very interested, but they didn't want to just sell off the success of the comics alone. And that's how we got the cartoon. Because a Playmates, a toy company, is why the Turtles all have different colored bandanas. Originally, they had only red. They didn't have the name belt buckles. They didn't have the the colored headbands. They didn't have a lot of things. And the cartoon, because merchandising, where the real money from the movie is made. <laughs> and if you get that reference, I appreciate all of you. Mm-hmm. Um, for those of you who don't know, that was Spaceballs. Um. Oh, that's yeah. right. Yes. Oh my God. Okay. I use that quote every time I talk about popcorn. I'm sorry. Because... I'm slow today. So that <laughs> that's was okay. It's all the, right. The I've kids been love a lot. The, the kids love the flamethrower. Sorry. Yeah. Continue. Spaceballs, the coloring book. Spaceballs, the breakfast cereal. That part is perfect. May the Schwartz be with you. Anyway, it's like I love that movie. It's so it good. Um, and yeah, it's just interesting how. Because of the toy company, that's how we got a lot of things. That Their love of pizza was even more profound than it was in the comics. Um, 
they only did five episodes too. It was supposed to just be a mini series. And then in 1988, they made 13 more episodes to make a whole first season. And it was released around the Christmas retail season to promote the toys and the Ew. pizza. Because of course, when people pe pizza hut, by the way, yeah. Little e thing about the movie I found funny. Domino's was in the movie, but it yeah. was always Pizza Hut that heavily got TMNT marketed. So it's like, why wasn't Pizza Hut in the movie? Yeah. It's weird, huh? Like, you didn't yeah. think about that till I brought it up, huh? Yeah. <laughs> it's it's mind-boggling. Cool. But yeah, like, okay. Yeah. When you got the VHS tape, do you remember getting a Pizza Hut coupon in it? Well, I I I I went to Blockbuster. I, I went to Blockbuster. Oh, right, right, right. You watched Sorry, the Blockbuster. Man. Okay, fair yeah. enough. No, 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 that's fair. Because that was what I was getting to with the Pizza Hut thing was that Pizza Hut was in the old NES arcade games. They had TMNT toys, these like that you could buy at Pizza. They never used to do that. And they did all these things, and yet they weren't in the movie, which is the funniest thing ever. And they even promoted the movies. And it's like, what why didn't you put anyway? That's beside the point. Um yeah, so the thing with now getting to the movie, the thing with the movie is that it was made because there is something about live action movies in the 20th century. It was like their version of artistic expression in the U.S. And if a comic book was able to get a live action film you were considered God. You were like, they've made the big time. Doesn't matter if it sucks. You got a live action movie. Superman. Batman. Well, Batman wasn't out at the time, but Superman said- No, 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 no. In, in 1989, it came out, but then and then after that, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles came out in 1990. Right. Sorry. Um, sorry. No, no. I, you sorry. are right. You are right about that. And actually, in the comic book that Eastman and Laird made based on the original screenplay for the movie- Raphael walks out of a Batman movie, not Critters, and he okay. makes fun of Batman. But they couldn't do it in the movie for obvious reasons. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, legal reasons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. We'll get to that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, Superman, the 78 Superman movie, hit, set such a high bar that anything that came out that didn't feel like Superman was considered crap. Mm -hmm. And the weird thing, too, is... It also happened that we got lower quality adaptations. I'm looking at you, Masters of the Universe. Mm -hmm. And Howard the... Well, Howard the Duck actually was pretty on par with the comics. It was just a weird time to release the movie, I think. And I hear it's just a weird movie, but... Howard the Duck is weird. So if you know yeah. Howard the Duck, it's perfect. If you don't know Howard the Duck, it's a weird Marvel film everybody forgets exists. <laughs> um, but... The Extended Universe. So, yes, exactly. The multiverse, exactly. the multiverse. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, but yeah, it, it's kind of interesting that they they made a lot of things with the movie. And the, the reason why Golden Harvest, who were the people that made the movie, yeah. were chosen to begin with, was because nobody wanted to make a Turtles film. Roger Corman essentially apparently wanted to pitch a TMNT film. And uh, he was going to produce it with Kevin Dawson. And then it went to Bobby Herbeck, who who they got to write the script. And he was a guy who wrote stuff for Different Strokes, the Jeffersons, mm. things like that. 
And yeah, Golden Harvest picked it up because Golden Harvest was really good at making Jackie Chan movies, Chuck Norris movies, Mm. Bruce Lee movies. Most of them were made from a company in China called Golden Harvest. And they had an L.A. setup because Bruce Lee lived in L.A. A lot of these people lived in L.A., right? Chuck Norris, of course, lived in L.A. He didn't live in China. So they had to have their L.A. studio and... Um, the guy in charge of Golden Harvest's LA production team, I think his name was, I might be wrong. I think it's Tom Gray. I hope it's Tom Gray. I think I did my research right. Um, he wasn't interested at first. And then Herbeck kept basically poking the bear like, hey, we got this Ninja Turtles movie. You want to make this Ninja Turtles movie? Come on, it'll be great. And he's like, who are the Ninja Turtles? Why should I care? What are these things? Like what what? Oh, they're they're kung fu amphibians. Okay, who cares? <laughs> then he asked his kids about it and he realized once his kids started gushing about the idea of a live action turtles movie that he was like, "Oh, we could make money off of this." <laughs> okay, I'm interested now. That's great. It's all about it's like that meme, we've got to have money, right? <laughs> so, Golden Harvest got set up with the movie And they were really good at making movies that were cheap because they could just hire a bunch of stunt guys and dub things over later and bada bing, bada boom. You save, think of how much money you'd have to save if if your actors weren't on set for 24-7 for the whole production, right? Stunt people were were cheap. You just get them, they do their things. Well, back in the day they were. Um, And in two months, right, a script was done. Everything was essentially finished. And then uh, they got Steve Barron. And what's interesting about Steve Barron, going back to our man here, is that um, he's mostly known. So it's funny. This actually has a reference to the Mario Brothers live action movie as well, because the directors they got to do uh, Mario Brothers did a music video. Steve Barron. Yes, that's what I was going to get to. Yeah, anyway, continue. Oh, well, since you got. No, 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 no. You go. You go. No, 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 no. I've talked enough already. Go ahead. No, uh, this is fantastic. I, I want you to keep going, but I was going to bring up the director. Um, Steve Barron directed, I, 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 ha- I looked up his music videos and, and I, I realized, oh shit, this is the guy who directed AHA's Take On Me. And he and did Mike- Billie Jean. That's what, I, yeah, and Michael yeah. Jackson's Billie Jean. Um, uh, yeah, I'm sorry, please continue. Oh no, that I appreciate that. Anytime that you guys so have stuff cool. to throw in, please. Yeah. Please like, have you done a major go. motion picture before, TM? I don't know. I didn't Not know. like a major well what he okay, I'll tell you I'll, I'll tell you what I do know. Did he? Uh okay. he did he did music mainly music videos and he directed uh, I, I, Run? Well no. I, I I don't I don't know. I I, I I don't know off the top of my head. But Baron also directed episodes of the Storyteller for Jim Henson. That's what so, it was. Yeah, that's what it was. Yeah. Yep. Oh, um, you know why Golden Harvest was also picked? Tell they me. also did Cannonball Run. Okay. And that movie did so well that they were like, "Oh, these people are great right now. They got no other big movie going on." So that's how it connects. Because you're right. He he did do Jim Henson's Creature Shop um, Storyteller, and that's how he had an in. For talking to 
Jim Henson's Creature Shop about doing the effects for the Turtles, which I think was very smart of him to do. Yes. And he has gone on record to say that he didn't want a Ninja Turtles movie to just be violent or bloody like the comics. He wanted it to be in the spirit of Ghostbusters, where it was a very serious movie, but there was some humor in it and you could market it. And it was just a fun movie. And he actually took the panels of the comic, went up to Eastman and Laird and were like, you see this panel? I want this in my movie. You see this? I want this in my movie. And they were like, wow, this guy actually knows the comics. He actually knows what he's talking about. Okay, I know the script's already written, but rewrite a new script to make it fit your vision, please. And eventually, uh, Bobby Herbeck was replaced by Todd Langan, I think his name was, and he did stuff for, like, the Wonder Years. And, um, As what? Who was that? It was... Oh, he replaced to write the next script. Sorry. Oh, the script writer. Okay. I missed that part. I apologize. That's okay. There's just so much to say. <laughs> um, the interesting thing about Jim Henson going back to them, is that uh, they actually had a very interesting meeting with Jim Henson. And he was like, Baron was like, hey, so I want you to work on this movie. And Jim was like, I don't know, man. The Turtles, I've, I've seen the comics and I don't... I don't know if that really fits the tone of my company, you know? And Baron was like, Jim, I promise you... The, the tone of this movie is going to fit exactly what you've been doing with your company. I am going to make sure that it's not just bloody, gory violence. I want the turtles to be believable. I want them to show emotion. I want the, the, their, 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 um, bond of family and their place in the world and everything. This is the core of my movie. And Jim looked at him and he goes, okay, you know what? You sold me on that. I'm okay. We'll do it. And, uh, before production even happened, uh, the distribution deal that they had with 20th century Fox got canceled because the CEO was replaced. Yeah. And it's funny to think how the turtles could have been owned, by 20th century Fox and then owned by Disney today. Yeah. Kind of scary. Yeah. Um, Ooh. yeah, it kind of puts things into person. Oh, but don't you worry. Ariana, the mouse will return later on in this story <laughs> because the mouse shows up a lot more than you think it does in this. And that's and I'm not talking about the Disneyland shows that 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 is a whole nother thing altogether. Those actually okay. weren't too bad, surprisingly. Um, no, the reason why the mouse comes back is because New Line Cinema got the movie. We're starting to produce it. They started to film things in New York and also North Carolina because yeah. North Carolina was cheap thanks to having a studio after it went bankrupt. So they're like, ha ha, perfect. Steve, <laughs> can, can I interrupt you for one second? Yes. You know how long they filmed in New York according to Steve Barron? It wasn't that long. Four days. Yeah. Anyway, continue. Sorry. Wow. It's funny when you think about that. A Four movie days set in New York. York and the rest uh -huh. filmed in North, North Carolina. Carolina. Yep. Yeah. Um, a genius production move. Yes. Yes. Surprisingly, <laughs> you wouldn't have known. Mm -mm. Yeah. The mouse. I mentioned the mouse. I'll get into talking about the Jim Henson suits later, because I think that's a discussion we all should have about the suits. Yes. Because um, they're freaking fantastic. Yes. The reason why I brought up the mouse 
was because uh, at one point, Golden Harvest wanted Baron to lighten the movie. They said, you know, this is really serious. The cartoon is really what sells TMNT right now. Could you add more jokes? Could you not make, maybe not make them use their weapons as much, you know? you know, do a, Yeah, it sounds freaking weird when you think about it. The TMNT cartoon got away with it because they were robots they were fighting. They were able to mm. hack and slash and do all these things. That's how they kept the censorship from getting on them. Mm. Um, so Baron eventually handed the film to uh, an editor named Sally. Sally Menke. I know this. That's what I was going to get to. That's what I was going to get to. Anyway. Couldn't think of the name. Uh, and it's funny because he handed it to her 12 pages before the end of filming. Mm. And he was like, please. 12, pa 12 pages? Of the script. Yeah, it was oh, left. Wow. And he was like, here you go. The reason why he gave it to her was yes. because the mouse had come to town. <laughs> and by that, I mean that in true Disney fashion, Baron and another person decided to secretly meet up with Jeffrey Katzenberg without anybody knowing that this was happening. It was all under the table. Who is that? Who's Jeffrey Katzenberg? Jeffrey Katzenberg was the one in charge of Disney at the time. Yeah, they went to the mouse, like, and they said, hey, uh, we want to release a Ninja Turtles movie. Um, do you think we could uh, get some more money so that we can finish filming and we can put it under your name? Because Turtles are really big right now, you know? Then Katzenberg went, maybe. So they finished filming, cut the film, showed it to him. Katzenberg said, I like it, but I don't really like it. Do it again. Cut more of the film. Did some stuff. Came back. Eventually, it got to a point where after weeks of editing and shooting and editing and shooting and editing and shooting, Katzenberg himself called Golden Harvest's head people and was like, oh, well, hi there. We're here to uh, finish this deal to release it under the Disney banner. We heard you were interested. And Golden Harvest went, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> and they had a talk with Katzenberg and they said, yeah, um, no, we're going to stick with New Line Cinema. Thanks for the offer, though. Bye. Immediately hung up the phone, looked at Steve Barrett and Simon Fields and went, you two are fired. How dare you go behind our back to try to sell this movie to somebody else without telling us? Like, especially since it's almost done filming. Like, films, there is a code. Pirate's code. More like a guideline, but it's yes. a code. Parlay. And yes, exactly. No, Parlay does not exist in this. Um, <laughs> the thing with th what they did, it was almost similar to how Nintendo stabbed Sony in the back when they were trying to make the PlayStation. Because originally, Nintendo and Sony were going all in to make a PlayStation together. And then secretly, behind their back, Nintendo went to... Phillips. And they said, yo, Phillips, you want to make a game system? <laughs> and the day that Sony announced the Nintendo PlayStation, 
Nintendo walked right in there and said, you all are liars. This is our real system and showed the Philips CDI. Literally the same day. And Sony was outraged. They were like, first of all, how dare you go behind our back at the last minute to tell us we're not having a business deal. Secondly, and this is goes into how a lot of foreign companies work. Uh, you usually work with people from your own area before outsourcing to foreign countries because there's the idea, especially in Japan, the idea is you work with your fellow brethren, right? Like you only outsource if you absolutely have to. So the fact that Nintendo, of all people, went to an American company, Sony was like, how dare you? How dare you? And that's kind of what happened with Gold at Harvest. They were like, how dare you? 12, the literally, the filming is done. We're editing and you're trying to sell us off to another company? <laughs> Baron, what are you doing? Yeah, yeah, what was even the point of that? I mean, what would more money really do at that point? Well, it, it, it uh, okay, I actually listen. Okay, so this, uh, can I jump in here? Oh, please. <laughs> okay, so uh, Baron's, According to the audio commentary, which is a primary source, but of course it's biased right. uh, because it's the director, he just said he, he, he wanted to film more stuff. At the developers of the movie, initially, before the filming began, went to the Cannes Film Festival market to meet with backers, and after selling the distribution rights of the film to backers from Germany and France, producers of the movie were given se the se initial $7 million dollars. Uh, and then, uh, when the movie was close to being finished, Baron wanted to get more money. So that, that's what I heard. And then, and then, yeah. uh, and then from there, a new line came in. Yeah. And, and did, did I get that right, Matt? Yeah, yeah, no, no, it's absolutely correct. Yeah. And that's why they went to Katzenberg and that's why the film ended at $13 million for their budget was because he wanted to film more that they needed to do. I mean, the original money that they had, a large percentage of that money went to hiring suits. Jim Henson. And the suits, yeah. Yeah, and doing the suits, exactly. Which, speaking of the suits, we can take yeah. a little bit of a break from talking about the freaking history of this film, because it's pretty much almost over, um, to talk about the suits, because the suits are phenomenal. I'm going to go back to like 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 yes, five, yes, five minutes it. ago. Do it. And do I'm it. so sorry. Uh, but I, I want to give you... I want to give you guys two pieces of trivia before we move on, mm. okay. because there is a lot to talk about with the suits. Um, one one side note is that, as mentioned earlier, uh, there was a second unit director in this movie who filmed the flashback sequences. You know, when the ooze, when the turtles get into ooze, and when Splinter's mm -hmm. learning the ninja moves. First of all, that those sequences were shot in Super Eight millimeter film. Now, for reference. Every like ninety nine percent of movies in film history have been shot on thirty five millimeter film, including the rest of the Ninja including the rest of this movie. So it was a bold choice to film uh, the rest of the movie the, to film the flashback sequences in its Super Eight millimeter. It, that's why it looks more grainy. Okay, mm. so that's piece of trivia number one. You know who filmed those second unit uh, sequences? Because th those were sequences that were filmed uh, like. Those were sequences that weren't part of the main production. You know who filmed those? Brian Henson, Jim Henson's son, who ended up directing them up at Christmas Carol. 
Yeah, Brian yeah. Henson is a is a mastermind when it yes. comes to a lot of these things. He's yes. He is definitely his father's kiddo for yes. sure. <laughs> and then the second piece of trivia that I wanted to give you guys, well, really the third, I guess, is that you know who Sally Menke is? The editor? You know what she did? Edited every single Quentin Tarantino movie up until her death. Yep. Uh, after Inglorious Bastards. Yeah. What? She she's yep. done a lot. Yeah. Oh my god. Anyway. Yeah. For Ariana sitting here like, I'm getting so much info dumped on me right now. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, it's just it's fantastic how much you know, because you watch a movie like this and most people think like, oh, it's just a cute little fun little movie, whatever, whatever. Yeah. Comic books. And they don't realize how much goes into it. It's just like any other film. The creativity, the pain, the sweat, the blood that goes yeah. into these movies. Oh, no matter of... what the content is, it takes a very talented group of people to make something good enough that people want to watch it and repeat watch it and become fans and have it be successful. It takes talent and it's fabulous to know how many wonderful people are behind it. Speaking of the talent, I I forgot to write down the names of everybody that was the um the actors in the I know suits. who you're going to say. I know who you're going to say. Oh, wait. No, oh, no, perfect. no suits. Sorry. Yeah. It's because here's the thing. Everybody knows who voiced the TMNT in the movies and all the characters. But not all of those people were actually in the suits. Yeah. What? They So they did it in the style of their normal films. They had the people on set doing the stuff. And then they had different people do the voice and then they dubbed over the people when they spoke with the voice. So, for example, um, the people who were not really changed were people like April, played by Judith Hogue, Elias Kiedis as Casey. By the way, pretty much everybody in this movie and the second movie, perfect casting yeah. for, the, for, for the characters. The guy that played Shredder... Both the actor James Saito and David David McChairn McChairn I think I'd spelled his name I think I'd spelled his name wrong but anyway Shredder in this movie is my favorite Shredder just that I am your father this is your family like that his the the guy playing Shredder and the voice they got was badass like yeah. i loved it he's my is favorite the, same, Shredder. the guy that plays him and the voice they're not the same, same person? person not the same person <sighs> no. and then um tatsu was the same thing his, his second in command uh toshihiro obata was the actor and then michael mcconachie something like that he was the the voice um but and you then see the, his face you see I know. him talk they it's still called adr his voice? adr yeah i know and then, well, this is how they saved money. My this is how blown. they saved money. And the how only do you save money by hiring two actors to do one job. Well, I, I think I think it's because I think the logic was sorry. I'm Matt. You should go first. No, no, no. Go ahead. I've talked too much already. <laughs> no, no, no. Or not enough. Um, this is great stuff. This is great free content um, to build up our channel. Um, so perfect. So when I was listening to the commentary, it sounded like the suits were very loud. Mm, Am I yes. right? And the so, suits. And so the suits were very loud. And let me explain why. You also couldn't so, hear people. Yes. Um, and so a, as previously mentioned, most of the $7 million went towards the suits. 
designed and created by Jim Henson's Creature Shop. And the turtle shells actually housed the backpacks, which connected to the creature's faces, the turtle's faces. Took 18 weeks to make those things. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Uh Uh-huh. Took a long Uh, time. Sorry. But it literally, the the mechanics of the backpack were controlled the facial movements by radio. And so, so like, little radio controllers uh, through radio signals control their faces. With yeah, the so turtles, and I so, can understand why but, you would need the secondary actor, but for the second in command? Well, let me let, let, hold on. Let me explain. Okay, tell me. So, um, I, so essentially, um, I my my theory, and correct me if I'm wrong, Matt. My theory, my hypothesis, if you will, mm. is that they realize that they realize, oh, we can't, because the servos of the motors of the backpacks are so loud, we can't even hear the actors when they're acting. Mm-hmm. Um, so why don't we just ADR them? And then they realize, oh, maybe we can spruce up a performance, spruce up the, by just ADRing the, most of the movie. It it also goes into the tired and true thing of, if you have like, say a musical, mm-hmm. very rarely will the actress playing the Disney princess be the one that sings. Mm-hmm. You'll have a, I mean, you want to talk about that? Look at like. Pocahontas, look at other movies. Like most of those movies, the actor that is talking might not be the same person that's yeah. singing. I'm yeah. grateful um, that that has changed over the years. Me too. They actually hire people that can do both, which is nice. Yeah. Um, but it's kind of the same effect here is that you could have had somebody who was a really good Michelangelo, for example, my boy. And mm. The thing is, maybe his voice didn't fit Mikey. Hmm. So they had to hire a different person to do the voice because it just sounded like Mikey, right? Same with Leo, same with Raph. Same. Actually, I take it back. Josh Paris actually got to record his lines for Raph. And he. Th- so the guy in the suit, I think, was the guy that did... The voice, I, I could be wrong, but I, I know one of them, one of the turtles, that's what happened. Hmm. And then Splinter, the guy that did the puppetry for Splinter, was the voice of Splinter, which I thought was awesome. Oh, no kidding. Um, yeah. Um, and yeah, speaking of those suits. Is there somebody um, in a suit for Splinter or is he just I think a he's just a puppet. I think he's just he a puppet. He doesn't move cool. that much, so it would make sense. Yeah. Um, the thing with going back to what you were talking about with the, how they did the voices and stuff, it was very intricate. Like you said, the batteries in the back, there was somebody off camera operating all these little servos and things. And the actors, not just, not just one guy, not just one person. Oh no, it was like a team. You're right. It was a team of people for one person for the eyes, one person for the mouth, one person for the whatever. And the thing with the, the dialogue was the actors would speak their dialogue and it would be carefully choreographed with the people working the animatronics so that they got perfectly on point to and that's how Jim Henson works that's just yeah. so that's Dark kind Crystal of like was, a live action animation yes system you yeah know, like essentially what they do yeah. in animation just applied to the real world and that's why practical effects are great Jurassic Park all of them awesome stuff um thank you for reminding me of what the heck that word is i know right you're welcome uh another thing though about the suits there were two versions of the suit that were made actually there was one version of the suit that we've been talking about which was called the hero suits 
that was the ones where you would see them on camera. They do their little mouth movements and uh, things. Then there were the stunt suits and the stunt suits were less cumbersome and for more of the action scenes. That's why in some parts you see the turtle's mouth not move when they're speaking, like in the cartoons, because it was the stunt suits. Uh, but the hero suits, 70 pounds of yeah. foam rubber and electronics, suffocating, lack of air ventilation, restricted, claustrophobia. Literally, these suits, every single suit had this, and the actors sometimes had to only, they had to take multiple breaks it was very similar to when Jim Carrey did the Grinch, where he had to learn how to like torch anti-torture methods just to work in the Grinch suit, which is impressive because it was just layer upon layer of makeup and everything. Um, but yeah, those suits are they're awesome, great stuff. It uh... oh god, uh, I I just remember. Uh... I, I'm totally going to get us off track for a second and talk about, okay. So I am in love. Like, like when I grew up, I want to be Jim Henson. Oh yeah. You, everybody you know, did. Yeah. I still do. Um, so, you, you know, because like, like, like I, I, I love that man so much. He helped make Sesame street. He created the Muppet show, the Muppets, he, fraggles. Uh, the fraggles, fraggle rock. Uh, he, uh, the dark crystal labyrinth, labyrinth, uh, oh. David Bowie at Bowie. his prime. Um, and that giant cod piece. <laughs> exactly. There's a scene where he's like fondling the orbs and they literally have a shot. That's just hot low enough where you could see the cod piece or it's just him. And you're just like, I see what they were doing with Bowie. I, I appreciate I that. Cause that was, that was Bowie. He didn't right. care. Right. <laughs> he didn't care. <laughs> um, but I, I gotta tell you, it, it was like two worlds collide collided for me because I've seen a behind the scenes photo where Jim Henson's in the sewer of of the of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and he's like, and he's like, his arms are around one of the turtles or something. Oh, it's so cool. And I'm like, oh, oh my childhood. So anyway, I just had, wanted to bring that up. No, that's okay. Um, um, do I either of you know the mechanics of like? How they would breathe, like when they needed breaks, like they does would the take the mask off. off. Yep, like as a full headpiece. It and then took like a long it time, in like a Spider-Man mask. It took a long time to take it off, but yeah, essentially, actually, you can kind of see it. There's yeah. in the neck. There's all these folds, and the reason why is because that's where the actor's head was. Yeah, and, and then there was like a little thing, and then the animatronic was here. And so, sorry, and I just want to add to that. You could also, the reason, okay, so they have, like, the IP, they have, like, the uh, headband mm -hmm. that goes over their eyes, right? Yeah. There was a little, according to the director and the audio commentary, there's a little slit right mm -hmm. below the eyes where the where the actors, the performers could could actually look through, like a, like, see-through fabric. Mm -hmm. So if you look in some shots, you can actually see, like, a little line below. And then also... Sometimes the, the turtles open their mouths and go. And like, there's that like Five Nights at Freddy's second animatronic mouth. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I noticed that watching it yesterday. I'm like, oh, I never noticed that before. It's creepy <laughs> as hell. <Yeah. laughs> like, oh, jeez. Um, 
One of Shredder Hoodlums is played by Sam oh, Rockwell. That's right. Sam Rockwell. That that's was the right. Name. Head Thug. Who would go on to win Best Supporting Actor at the Oscars for three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. Anyway, yep. as well as, uh, you know, he was in Seven Psychopaths and all these I great movies. Seven Psychopaths. Oh, uh, me too. Movie's hilarious. Hell yeah. Um, I guess the only real thing left to talk about with the movie is the fact that of how they how it went in the theaters. Because yeah. like we said, this was a freaking low budget indie movie. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, it was based on the Ninja Turtles. Yeah. So early buzz for the movie made people order more copies so that they could put it in more theaters and have more showings of it. And March 30th, 1990, literally nine months after Batman, Turtles came out. And again, lightning in the bottle because Batman was so good. It was literally the renaissance of the Silver Age comic book movies because Ninja Turtles came out, Batman came out around the same time. And because Batman came out, people were more interested in comic book adaptations and lo and behold, Turtles came out. It was great. Made it made twenty five million in its first weekend, which beat Pretty Woman, Hunt for Red October, and Joe versus the Volcano, Lord of the Flies, and a whole bunch of other films that were out at the time. Dang! And, it beat and, Pretty yeah. Woman. Yep. That's and. If I, I, I and according to uh, Wikipedia, which is of course the most reliable yes. source on the internet, um, yeah. the opening week in America, it was the second highest gro- grossing movie up until that point behind Batman. Yes. Yeah. And it was the and it still is one of the highest grossing indie movies of all time. Yeah. Um. Overall, it made 135 million in the U.S. and it made 66 million elsewhere. Which is ironic because nowadays the numbers probably would be flipped. Um, oh, you got it right there. Perfect. <laughs> and uh, actually, it's funny that you guys talked about the ratings earlier because I want to talk about one rating in particular. Nunchucks. <laughs> rating. No. Rating. Like, like, Nunchucks. like. Well, let me let me explain. You mean like, like the MPA, like, like in UK, right? Oh no, sorry. I meant um. Film review rating. Sorry. Oh, okay. Okay. My can, bad. I should have made that can, more specific. Can I, can I bring up my thing? Oh, please. I've never heard of this nunchuck thing. Please elaborate. Well, it's actually back in, back when it was released, nunchucks, and I, I'm sure I'm sure it was. Oh wait, I'm... keep going. Keep going. I know what you're going to okay. say. Okay. So um, <laughs> it took me a minute. Nunchucks are actually illegal in the UK, and so actually the the UK censorship board said you have to. Do something. You have to edit out these nunchucks in the movie, uh, as like or or add cartoony sound effects. I forget which. Right. Some form of censorship. You do something stupid. Yeah, and so I th- I think I think that affected its rating. Anyway, sorry. No, no, that that's okay. Um, Matt, please continue. You are right though, because also ninjas were considered illegal stuff mm-hmm. in movies and cartoons in the UK. That's why in the UK they're called the Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles. And a lot of the cartoon Boo. had to be altered so that Michelangelo didn't have weapons. And those, I know it's, it, it's weird, but Mr. Roger Ebert mm-hmm. gave the movie a 2.5 out of four. 
That makes sense. Which is about the rating that we were kind of giving it, right? And his reasoning was, if you're a Turtles fan, this is the movie for you. If you're not a Turtles fan, maybe this isn't the movie. Not exact words, but paraphrasing, that's pretty much what he said. Yeah. Which is fair, because the movie was made for Turtles fans. It was made for people who wanted to see a Ninja Turtles live-action movie really, really bad, like yours truly. Um, the other reason why the movie made a lot of money, though, not a lot of people know this, the the movie... They, these people were so genius. The movie came out the week before school went out for break. Mm-hmm. So that meant that people could see it multiple times over the course of that week. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. Like amazing timing. Yeah. They knew <laughs> their was... audience. They knew that this was a, this yeah. is, it's kind of a kid's movie. Kind it is of a kid's movie, you know, kind but of. it's, but, yeah. you know, adult it's theme. the nineties version of a kid's movie. It's like yeah. when Don Bluth enters with secret of Nim, you're like, Oh, it's a family picture. And then all of a sudden you're like, Oh, people are dying. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh no. Yeah. What is that cat? That looks like a demon from hell. <laughs> what is this movie? <laughs> yeah, um, uh Land Before Time and yeah. yeah. All dogs go to heaven with the 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 nightmare in hell scene. Right. Did you already say an American tale? Oh, I haven't mentioned American tale. Okay, but anyway, oh yeah, we can talk sorry. about American tale. That final part of American tale with the fake giant rat mouse mm. thing. Huh. Huh. Anyway. <laughs> um the thing with the movie, though, is that like all good things, it comes to an end. And Turtles Mania, about the time this movie came out, it was starting to decline. And they made a second movie a year later with only $2.5 million budget. No, no, sorry, $25 million. Oh. Sorry, $25 million budget. And they made $78 million. Not bad. Yeah. Not bad. Uh, they did replace um, April. Uh, they went from Judith Hogue to Paige Tuco because Judith had issues with the first film because it was too violent mm. and it wasn't family friendly. And it's like, lady, you're getting into a Ninja Turtles. What do you expect? You know, it's like yeah. it's in the name. Um, but I still liked her as April in the second movie. And then two years after that, on a budget of $54 million, they made Turtles in Time, which only made $21 million oh. because it was a bad movie. And that was, they didn't care at that point. They were just trying to just make another film. And it was, again, this was the end of Turtle Mania when things kind of were hunkering down and people didn't really want to do things in Turtles. Still, what didn't help still was, it pains me it does it oh pains me that Ooh, a film me. company that has increased its money with every film can decrease in quality that's and really what it was as to have a significant enough drop in quality that fans watch it for 10 minutes and want to turn it off when you have 54 million dollars and you I can know. kind of let your imagination run wild it's scary with how does uh, that t- happen how does the studio how do people let stuff like that happen hollywood that's how it happens <laughs> yeah yeah that's about um, right so what happens when you don't have like real creators in charge of the decisions well plus the other thing too is like i said earlier the the success of the movie made them want to make more live action things so they made the next mutation which did not last very long 
they made the the music the literal live on tour band musical concert things called the coming out of your shell tour it was bad they had a christmas special Sick title, it was, a, it was. <laughs> they had a christmas marketing. special that was also a musical we wish you a turtle christmas is horrifying <laughs> uh because it was very low budget that's the thing and i think that's a stupid I, title sorry it is yeah. oh no you're not wrong coming um, out of your shell is fantastic it's great a turtle terrible concert yeah. but actually you could watch it on youtube if you're ever uh, interested, I won't. You should for <laughs> see how long you <laughs> can get. The, no, 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 no. Right. I'm actually like, I, and you know what? I think that's why I appreciate this. The nineties movie so much is because the first two films, this one and secret of the ooze secret of the ooze is not as good as the first one. But if you're a fan of the cartoons and you want a more funny kind of like goofy turtles movie, that's what you're going to get. They sing a ninja rap with vanilla ice. Well, they don't sing <laughs> it, but vanilla ice has a cameo and he starts rapping. That's where the ninja rap came from. And Turtle uh, power. no, not that one. That was oh. the first one. By the way, that song is wrong. Raphael's not the leader of the turtles. It's Leonardo. Everybody for years was like, no, Raphael's the leader. It said so in the song. No, mm. it's Leonardo. No, the second one, it's a literal rap by Vanilla Ice. And the, <laughs> the, the chorus goes, ninja, ninja, rap, ninja, ninja, rap. I don't want to do too much because you'll get copyright striked probably by who knows sure, what. Sure, sure. But yeah, Appreciate it's, that. and they're fighting the big other mutants at the same time in, a, in like a dance club. And you're like, this is goofy and I love it. It's, this is what you <laughs> wanted. This is what you want from a Ninja Turtles movie, right? Mm -hmm. This is what you expect. Uh, but yeah, after the first two movies, the quality went down because they tried so hard to push the brand in new directions. And I mean, the cartoon ended after 193 episodes with 10 seasons, which is impressive to put that into context. Batman, the animated series has 120, I think episodes. Mm. Dang. So yeah, it's pretty damn good. Yeah. <laughs> it's, and yeah, it's so crazy. Like when people think of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, they don't equalize it to Batman. Yeah, because there's not as many notable. It has movies. a lot of ties but to when Batman. When it comes to like notoriety and if yeah. you compare like certain things side by side, I'm like, mm, it's, it's an indie it's comic. On par. It's up there. Yeah, and and until Nickelodeon bought the rights to Ninja Turtles, I think that was around the time of the 2012 series. Um it was still pretty much an indie comic book and the movies were made whenever Eastman and Laird decided they wanted a new movie to come out and they liked the script and they made, you know, and the, the 2003 show, even though it was made by four kids, which that's a whole nother topic for another day. It was gritty. It was dark for a kid's cartoon. Like there's all the whole, one of the episodes, the first introduction to shredder Baxter Stockman failed him. And, you know, he's like, oh, I'll just make more mousers and blah, blah, blah. And Shredder is just like, you have failed me, Baxter Stockman. You know what happens when people fail me. And he pulls out his, like, claw hand and it cuts away and it shows, like, a, a pan out of the fortress. And you hear Baxter Stockman screaming. The next time you see him, he's missing an eye. Ooh. <laughs> and you're just like, oh, <laughs> this is a good show. I love it. Yeah. 
It was great. Um, can, can I can I interject for one thing? Yes. I love. I okay. This was something I wanted to bring up. I love how in in the movie, it's a great villain introduction. Oh like, yeah. Like that oh. one that oh. one shot of like of like Shredder's shadow, and then him walking in. I kind of wish. I kind of wish that's how Darth Vader was in- introduced in Episode Four. Anyway, yeah. like like with that long shadow. And that's the one. That's the one thing I'll be like. That is a very good shot. Mm-hmm. And that theme, just the dun dun dun, the dun, yeah, dun, yeah, dun dun dun. It's you're just like oh. Yeah, I love how but, like the whole depiction of Shredder is a very calm power. Yeah, because that's yeah. what he it's is. Intense. And that I that's love him that. most Even of the time. Demeanor, like he doesn't really talk that much, and when he does, he's like very short and to the point, and just says. Whatever the truth is. It's funny because the cartoon, the cartoon made Shredder a joke. He was like, I'll get you, Tattles, you know, and and then Craig, Shredder, you know, and some of that. But when you read the comics, Shredder died in the first issue Hmm. of Ninja Turtles. Wow. And he died by getting thrown off of a rooftop, just like in the movie. No shit. So the garbage compactor, I think, was added. I'm not quite Reread I, the comics. That's why I wanted but, to say Casey Jones is a straight up murderer. He's oops. like, oops. <laughs> yeah. That's how it was. That's how Casey Jones is, though. I was literally just telling Ariana there is an episode of the cartoon where they brought Casey Jones in. And Casey Jones is like a, a, a Mel Gibson Mad Max psychopath. He's just like, I'm here to kick your ass, scum bucket. Right. And no. he just, and he says a lot of one liners. And there's a whole episode where they think that the Foot Clan is operating in this building and they're like, well, we, we got to get in. How are we going to figure this out? And Casey's like, I got an idea. And he shows up in a freaking suit, but he still has the hockey mask on and he has his golf club bag and everything. And he's like, I'm here for a job. And they're like, oh, well, you don't really have that big of a resume, Mr. Jones. What are your, your talents? And he goes, let me show you. And he breaks the table in two. And they're just like, you're hired. <laughs> That's how Casey Jones was. And again, perfect casting for this movie. Everybody <laughs> yeah. was just cast perfectly. The one thing, though, about the casting, which was not so much the movie's fault, because it was more so the cartoon's fault. April O'Neil was originally a black or a Latina woman. Mm. And then the cartoon made her a redhead. Mm. I don't know why. It was probably just because of something in the 80s, probably. But... So not so much the movie's fault because they cast Judith played a great April. She was perfect for the style and everything. She even had a costume reminiscent of the original comics with the red tank top and the little, and like the, the, the leather jacket that was from the comic. That that was a look from the comic, which is really cool. Um, But I got to ask the girl question. Do April and Casey hook up in any of the stories? Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I don't, I think later on in the comics they did, um, the 2003 show was, they had a whole episode where they had a wedding for Casey and April <laughs> and like uh-huh. all their friends, like Leatherhead and all these other people attended the 2012 show. It's hint- the, the, even though they're teenagers, it's heavily implied that they're dating mm-hmm. or they're at least interested in dating. Um, rise of the TMNT didn't do that because Casey came. Well, I don't want to spoil people who haven't seen the rise rise of the TMNT movie. Watch it. It's amazing. It's a very good movie. And people who had not seen the show at all liked it. So there you go. Very dark. Krang is awesome. Um, but um, yeah, why was I getting into the... 
Casey Jones. Uh, oh, Shredder. Right, Shredder. Shredder in the comics and in other media, the 2003 cartoon I was just talking about with Baxter Stockman losing an eye, that is a Shredder, like, from the movie and from the, the comics. Like, he is the bat... He is the badass in the room who knows he can kill you, but he'll just not worry about it till he has to because he's like, why would I bother? I know I could I could beat you up. I don't need to worry about this. He right doesn't now. have anything to prove. No, exactly. And just that shot. Uh, another shot that I remember of Shredder, which was great, was when um they just beat up the Foot Clan on the rooftop. And yeah. he jumps into frame. It's like dun 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 dun, and he has the yeah. spear in his hand. Like, oh man, that whole scene with Shredder and like, yeah, with the final confrontation with Splinter, like that whole last scene yeah. felt like it was straight out of the comic minus the blood and everything. And it was just, oh, so good. And, oh man, I just, actually, speaking of that scene, the the scene when he came in to frame with the shadow, mm -hmm. I actually showed that scene to my students because um, I was telling them like, how do you expect Shredder? I asked this question and they were like, oh, you know, Shredder. And they thought about the cartoons and stuff like that. And the real, the, the real fans knew of the movies and other stuff, but they didn't, you know, they mentioned stuff. And I said, well, I want to show you the first introduction of Shredder. We watched that whole scene up until Danny goes master. And there's that gong sound when he looks in his direction. <laughs> and we watched the whole scene. And afterwards I was like, well, so how did you feel? With Shredder, do you feel like this was a good version? And they were like, yes, this, you know, this guy's the main bad guy. He is a presence. Yeah. He doesn't even need to speak. And you know, he's the bad guy. Like Darth Vader. Yeah. When he first walks onto, not so much episode four. I mean, he is in concept because everything is like this stark white and he's just this big hulking I... man of pure darkness walking in. But that final scene of, um, what was that movie with um, Rogue One? Rogue One, yeah. Oh, yeah. That that's... I love that scene so much. Oh my god, the hallway. Yes, just pure darkness. So then the with the lightsaber, it's that eerie red with yeah. the. Oh man, that's another yeah. one. That's Shredder vibe right there. Just yeah. I gotta say, I really think this movie um, was well directed. Like I really liked yeah, a lot was. of the shots in this film. You know, between the Shredder scene and I loved seeing like Splinter, the way he was hanging on the wall and the lighting that they showed for that. Mm -hmm. um, all of the shots in the sewer room were really fun. Yeah. And did, even did... the shot like with Raph, uh, I think it was Raph, uh, underneath the sewer while April's getting questioned. Yeah. The police he's, all, finds. he's all, damn. Yeah. I'm like, that was a great introduction, a little sneak peek at the turtles. Yeah. It's the first time you see them. It makes it all mysterious. And then the, the introduction of them later. I just feel like it was very well done. It's very fun to watch and well shot. Yeah. Um, actually, you brought up the turtles. And I actually forgot to mention this earlier. Uh, one thing that I am a little irritated by the movie mm. is that uh, they didn't. So in the original script stuff before they recut a bunch of it, and even in the comic adaptation, it is implied that Michelangelo becomes a lot more serious in this movie uh, after Splinter gets taken and they're training. Like, so you, you realize they talked about what Leo was doing, watching Raph. They talked about Donatello, but they never talked about Michelangelo mm -hmm. and what he was doing. There was a whole scene that was cut from the movie that showed him training in the barn. And that one scene where he's hitting the boxing, uh, the boxing, the, the, the punching bag. 
Right. And there was a whole scene where he was going to be training in the barn and April was going to say, Mikey never stops training. 24-7 he is training. He only stops to sleep, have a quick meal, and then he's back training harder than he's ever trained before. And that scene when the turtle's on the roof and, you're here, and you hear Raph go, right? Yeah. It was actually supposed to be Mikey. And you can see his nunchucks in the shot. And he wasn't supposed to say splinter. He was just supposed to scream like at the top of his lungs because of his anger. Yeah. And they cut it and they made it Raph because Mikey was the most merchandisable Ninja Turtle. And they didn't want to lose the. Well, nowadays they would totally do it. Yeah, but back it would make it more interesting. Yeah, but back in the day, they didn't because there was the whole thing of, well, we need him to be marketable, and he's the most relatable to the kids, Mm -hmm. so if he doesn't do that, he's not marketable. Also, when they're fighting the Shredder, he's the one that lasts the longest. You can hear his voice actor doing the the fighting sounds Mm -hmm. against Shredder longer than the others. I don't know. It's just like cool stuff. Which is funny, because then Last Ronin comes out, and I'm not going to spoil Last Ronin, but I'm just like, this is good. By the way, if you haven't read Last Ronin, read it. It's very good. You brought up earlier, uh, and and uh, and maybe I misheard. There were two directors of this movie. Yeah. So we had Steve Barron. Yeah. And then the editor, Miss um, Sally Mankey. Mank, Miss Mank had to direct the last twelve pages of the film while he was trying to talk to Katzenberg. No shit, I didn't know this. Yep. And when uh, Simon Fields and Steve Barron were uh, kicked off the project, Sally Mank left as well Mm. out of not because she felt like guilty, but because she's like, well, I would feel weird staying when they're gone because Steve was the one in charge. And by that point, technically, Director 3 came in, which was just Golden Harvest and New Line Cinema basically just recutting the movie getting it out on on paper and polaroid and film and sending it out to everywhere so yeah very troubled production but man they did a good job for what they had to go through yeah Yeah. um this might get us off the movie for a second but i i i I always love contextualizing movies in terms Mm -hmm. of history of movies New Line Cinema would go on to start working on the Lord of the Rings trilogy less than a decade later. So My pretty 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 much years. pretty much like the okay, so let's say So wait, this is, start this is, working on Lord of the Rings less than a decade? That correct. started in the nineties? It start they started filming it in nineteen ninety eight, nineteen ninety nine. The entire trilogy in one go. Anyway. Yep. Um but my point being is that um like New Line Cinema was made by this movie initially, and then they continued to grow after that. Yep. To the point where they could afford the Lord of the Rings trilogy, and we were talking about CGI and digital. Look how far CGI came along. I mean, I mean CGI versus practical. Look how far CGI came in less than a decade. Yeah, I mean, look at Lord of the Rings. There's practical yes. and CGI in those films, and it looks fantastic. Yeah. Gollum, ver- Gollum, and oh my god, that's the gold standard right there of, yeah. of for digital characters. Still, the Balrog, the Balrog, yeah. Um, the Balrog. Oh, me too. 
Oh, speaking of people as dark, shadowy figures, freaking Sauron <laughs> in the opening of Fellowship of the Ring. Pure Shredder. Doesn't say a word, and you know, oh, this is the big bad. Look at that. Yeah. Look how tall that dude is. Yeah. Like, then um, just the helmet, and oh my gosh, and it was a guy in a suit. I was just yeah. like, I love it. I love <laughs> it. But I, I, I just love those connections of, like, New Line Cinema invested, like, $6 million dollars into the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, then like like something <laughs> millions like half a half a billion dollars I think into the Lord of the Rings trilogy, something like that. Not counting the, the Hobbit, but yeah. yeah, yeah, something like that. I something crazy like that. It's um, insane. It's crazy. Oh, and it paid off. Te- yeah, technically they did Lord of the Rings before Peter Jackson's because there was the Ralph Bakshi yeah. cartoon, and- which you know. Isn't that bad for my herd? It's not. It's also not bad when you realize Bakshi was promised three films and they said you need you only get one. And he had to fit Fellowship of the Ring and the Two Towers into one film. And if it sold well, he was going to be able to do The Return of the King as a separate movie. And it never did well because the movie was too long. And it it was the pacing was weird. And it sucks because you realize Bakshi makes some... He made some weird stuff like Wizards and Fritz the Cat and things like that. But Ralph Bakshi is a really, he was a mega fan of Lord of the Rings. I think if he was given all three movies and he, and he was able to do whatever he wanted with the films, with whatever budget. Yeah. I think it would have been, it would have been a good, it would have been a good animated trilogy. Agreed. But, Uh, I think we're getting a little off track here. Um, <laughs> I mean, eh. I, mean I, got, I, I got us off track. One last piece of trivia is that the film had many fans, including none other than Steven Spielberg. That's true. Spielberg was so taken with the film that he saw it three times and offered Steve Barron the job of directing the live action Casper the Friendly Ghost movie. He declined. <gasps> he declined, which he wanted to regret. Yeah, because Casper also did pretty decently, if I remember correctly. Yeah, that's it, it, one of my favorites. Introducing young uh, Christina Ricci. The last thing I want to know is one: who's your favorite turtle? Ooh. And also, if you had uh, your favorite scene. Matt, you go first. Well, Michelangelo all the way. He's been my favorite since. Well, it started because he was the Mondo cool dude, right, and stuff like that. But as I got older, I appreciated Mikey more because he's the heart of the team. And in the comics, he's like a professional like writer and he writes books and he hires somebody to like go out and pretend to be him and pitch meetings of that. And he likes to do art. And then the last Ronin happens and all these other things. And it's just like Mikey's just my favorite. He's just yeah. all the time. All right. And your favorite scene from the 1990 movie? Oh, there's a lot of scenes. Um, yeah, I still think one. There's one from the second film that I really like, but I can't say it because it's not the first film. Uh, This is tough. We already talked about Shredder. I like that one. I think one of my favorite scenes is when Donnie and Mikey are sitting under the grate and he's got the popsicle stick in his mouth from Mikey. And Donnie's like, oh, it's a nice night, you know, and oh, well. What did you think about what Splinter was saying? And Mikey's like, time's up. And he's like, totally just ignores the conversation because it really shows a little bit of depth to his character. And then that whole part where 
he's the pizza guy and he's like, hey, this isn't the right amount of money. And Mikey says, wise men once say, um, I, hang on, I, I, I need to get the actual quote because I wrote it down because I know I was going to say it wrong. Um, forgiveness is divine, but never pay full price for a late pizza. <laughs> and even as a small child, I realized that there's actually a lot of wisdom in that quote. <laughs> because you can apply that to a lot of things. And mm-hmm. I've used that as my mantra, especially yes. with pizza. Of course. Forgiveness <laughs> is good, but have boundaries. Yeah. <laughs> there are such things as boundaries. Never pay, never pay fully for half-assed work. That's essentially yes. what I got from it. So, yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. I'm I'm going to totally avoid your first question because let me explain why. I work at a cafe slash chocolate shop slash uh, factory. And sometimes we have factory workers that come up and get uh, drinks. And everybody's like, hey, Andrew, how are you? And I'm like, hey there, chopper. Um, hey, guy, you... How are you? I don't now mind you, I've been working there for since November. Okay. Um, and it's currently uh June. Mm-hmm. I've like 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 half of the people I don't know. So um or I don't know their name. So I don't I I can't I can't match the color of the headband to the turtle. So I apologize. Okay. Okay. So and, 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 and it was it was an actual thing as a kid that I had where it was like face blindness thing. Anyway, okay. Um, so I, 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 so I, I, I'm, I'm very sorry, Matt. Well, actually, maybe I can make it easy for you. Please. Um, did you like the one that had the attitude? Did you like the one that had a lot of the witty one-liners? Did you like the one that was super serious and had the line of "Good, go on, we don't need you," and he was like the leader type? Or did you like the one with the stick that was also making wisecracks? And there's that scene of him and Casey Jones in the barn fixing the car and they're like throwing insults at each other i i like the i like the one who had the most who had that interaction with splinter uh uh yeah splinter and uh where the splinter was saying you hold so much inside that's raf, that's raf. okay the hothead the the one okay. that's the the wolverine of the team essentially <laughs> okay yeah I, I like him i like him Raphael's great i i do yeah. like Raphael a lot but you like them all mikey's I, just I, yeah. not all of them i mm. i like Mikey, because he's my favorite. Raf, I associate more nowadays with because my temp. Sometimes I have moments like the, the 2003 Raphael had the Brooklyn accent, and there was a whole scene mm. where like he's being interrogated by one of the villains, and he's like, "This is nice tech. Where did you get it?" And Raphael's all, "Yo, mama." And <laughs> I'm just like, and I looked at that, and I'm like, "That's me at work." They're like, "Hey, Matt, why'd you do this? Because I can. Go away." <laughs> right. Said, but yeah, so Raph's, Raph is a, a, a popular character because he's he's one of the more relatable ones because mm-hmm. everybody has issues like that yeah. all the time. So right. very cool. How, about, Raph, how fa- about your favorite scene, Andrew? Yes, um, I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna state it again. Uh, my favorite scene is the Shredder's introduction. Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, just for that, this is one of the great shots. Genuinely speaking, g- this is genuine. For a villain introduction in any movie, is the opening shot of of Shredder, and his long shadow, and then walking in, into the field, into that like arena of his, yep, of his kid criminal uh, organization, 
And that, that's like a chill. That's almost like, oh my God. I, again, I almost with, wish Darth Vader in the very first Star Wars movie that was released. Uh, I wish he had been introduced in a similar, in a similar way, as opposed to just him walking out and then doing this and then singing music because it's because, and the reason I say that is because visually it's much more interesting to have, uh, it is like the long shadow and then the camera crane down. Uh, that's in- And so that's kind of why I made that comparison earlier. Uh, I, no, no, no. That being said, Darth Vader's introduction probably paved the way for this. Yeah. But, I'm... but um, that being said, I got to say that, op- that, that, that for that one shot alone of shredder, I'm like, this is fantastic. The cinematography in this movie is really good. It, like it, it makes there's moments real. where you're it like, wow, real. it does. Yeah. There, there's moments in the cinematography, like again with Shredder. There's also the thing with him popping out of the manhole in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, another th- scene I was thinking of with the cinematography is when Leonardo is um, he's meditating, and Splinter yeah. just looks up dead into the camera and just whispers. Like, there's a lot of good direction and cinematography and shots in this film. Very yeah. good vision for sure. Agreed. Yeah. But now, Ariana, what about you? Yes. You who gave us the question? Yeah, turn it right back around. Uh, yeah, I do like them all, um, but I, Raph is my favorite. I think because he's is like like more serious arc. and he's got the accent. He does have an arc, and to me, he's just cool. I'm like going to a movie. So cool. You got a problem with that? <laughs> yeah, he's like got attitude coolness, not not like fun coolness like Mikey. Yeah, but um, I think I do, I do like them all. Uh, it's... my favorite. It's hard, you know. Favorite scene wise, I don't know about a scene, but my favorite moment is when they have they sing a funeral for the rotten pizza when they come back. Yeah, and that part's he's great. Like, well, that depends. And they, I like that it took its time. It, you, they're like, oh, they find out those pizza, so they get excited and they go look for it, and then they find it, and he goes. Oh, he opens it and closes it right away. Like, it's too hard to look at it. And yeah. he's like, depends. What kind of toppings do you like in your pizza? Do you oh. like penicillin? <laughs> and he went, oh. It's like, oh. And then they just yeah. sing slowly <laughs> as they kneel. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought that was so brilliant and so teenager and so, like, fearless. I just, Although- I laughed so much. It's so perfect. Although I do have to say, that penicillin line, I'm so slow that I it took me a second, like, Oh, he's saying it's mold. And uh, okay, okay, and that's how, that. That was a really good line because I'm like, that made me think for a second. That's good. Yeah, that's a um, good one. And I do gotta admit, with that on the line, I love how many times it's pointed out in this movie how smart they all are. Yeah, you know oh, they're yeah. not doofuses. They know their history. They know what's going yeah. on in the world. Like they, they are you know watching April. And they know what the heck she's talking about. Like they yeah. are not dummies. Just because they live in a sewer and they fight. I think as someone who's watched a lot of Ninja Turtles and read a lot of Ninja Turtles and played a lot of Ninja Turtles and read a lot of Ninja Turtles and everything else in between, um, <laughs> there are there is a thing where sometimes the turtles kind of fall too much into their stereotypes because, oh, well, that's their identity. Because the cartoon did it, right? Mikey was the, yo, dudes, let's go, let's go party. Huh? Like, he was the party dude, right? Donnie was the one that, according to the song, did machines, but not that way. He was just the smart one. And even in the newest comic based on the 80s cartoon they just released, Donat- they were talking about, like, well, what makes all the turtles special? And Raphael's all, Donnie's the smart one. And Donnie's like, oh, I'm not that smart. He goes, no, 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 Donnie, you don't understand. 
how many times you've gotten us out because of plot armor. You're the smart one. <laughs> Accept that. And yeah, it's funny because in the movie, though, Donatello was more sassy than Raphael. Because in the mm -hmm. in the cartoon, Raphael was the one that had the one-liners, the snappy comebacks like Donnie in the movie. And it was Raphael and Casey Jones that are best friends in a lot of the comics and even in the cartoons and stuff. Even the 2008 CGI movie had Casey and April and and Raphael's friendship very like in the open. Like it wasn't Donnie, it wasn't Ra it was Raph. But in the 90s movie, it's weird because you're like, Donnie's never this. I mean, he is sassy, but he's not this sassy. He's not right. So I thought it was funny that I, I think because of the movie, they, they wanted to give them all unique identities more than just, oh, he's the fun one. So, yeah, yeah but Donnie's great. Love yeah. Donnie. There's a scene like that, though, in the second movie where they're going to eat pizza. And Mikey goes, whoa, wait, wait, we must do the moment to reflect. And they <laughs> close their eyes and they go, <laughs> and I'm like, I, I, I do that even today. I, I look at my sister and I'm like, wait, the moment to reflect. And she's <laughs> like, ah, yeah. And then we both do it. Aww. Yeah. Second movie's it. great. Matt, Ariana, closing thoughts. Love the movie. If you haven't yeah. seen it, watch it at least once. I, at I, least I once. Agree. I, I mean, agree. I agree. Yeah. It's a good movie. Definitely think it's a must-see if you want to appreciate old 90s uh, practical effects. It's a great one to go go watch and uh, see how they ended up doing all that. And, um, yeah, it's worth it, especially if you're going to go see the new one. Godspeed if you watch see, the third one. See our first exposure to, to TMNT. And the oh, movie. yeah, the new one's coming out. Oh, I'm excited. You can't see me, but I'm dancing in my seat. I'm so excited. <laughs> but, uh, for for Matt dancing in his seat, switch over to the YouTube channel version. Um, oh no, I'm on camera. <laughs> no, no, you're on work. Yeah, yeah. This this is a video podcast as well. Uh -huh. um, just let you know. Was, the By whole the time, way, I was just like, oh, I'll just do this over here, and oh, I'll just play seat. I think um, I my elbow at one point. So. Don't don't worry, we highly edit this. Don't worry. Oh, good. <laughs> uh, it's still going to be two hours, but uh, oh, jeez. Really no, no, I, I I actually I actually did look. Uh, we've been recording for about two hours. Two hours um, and two minutes. This is yeah, lo our longest podcast in a while. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Um, can you actually do me a favor, Matt? Can you show them what what we are wearing? Oh, of listeners? course. So I am a big fan of the arcade games. Turtles in Time is fun, but the OG TMNT arcade game, there was a Nickel City where I used to live and used to play that game for free every time you'd go in. So I got a shirt of the arcade games character select screen. And it even has the press start on the turtles <laughs> with the little numbers and everything. And oh, and I love it. Hang on, hang on, uh, hang on. Uh, the, the, the blur, hang on. I gotta the take blur the blur off. Take the stupid blur. Hang on, take that off. There we go. And you can even see down here it says "Select your turtles." <laughs> I, love I found this at a GameStop of all places. Well, that makes sense. Still, <laughs> it's oh, kind of funny, but. Yeah, I've had the shirt for a long time. I I I actually just played all the old Konami TMNT games for my channel. It was 13. That was a lot of games. Yeah. Some of them I will never play again. But yes, they're done now. I feel good about it. <laughs> so Speaking we're good. Your channel. <laughs> what? Speaking oh, yeah, that channel. thing. That thing. Yes. Uh, um, wait, 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 wait. 
before we go to what you want to promote, can we can we just wrap up what we have to say about the movie? Oh, please. Yeah. Oh, my, my personal crap can wait, by all means. Uh, just a moment. But first, I want to hear about the movie. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I said my piece. final thoughts. Oh, yeah. oh, I, I said my thoughts. At least watch okay. it once. It's, okay. it's, it's a great film. If you're a Turtles fan, it's amazing. If even if you're not a fan, you might still enjoy it. Um, very important film for film history, actually, because I agree. this movie paved the way for Jim Henson to do more stuff with their animatronics. Well, and not New Jim Line Henson. Cinema and. Not Jim Henson because he passed away like right, oh, right yeah, before. This. But anyway, sorry. Which like right after sad. this movie release, yeah. That that's a that's like a that's like a freak uh, uh, crime against humanity uh, caused by mm-hmm. the universe. Anyway, sorry. I agree. Um, but yes, you are correct. The Jim Henson comedy did go on to do great things as well. So Matt, my final prepared question for you. Oh, what do you have to promote? Oh, right. Okay. So uh, I've never done this before. So. Uh, I have a YouTube channel. Um, it's something I do on the side. I, I don't do it for the money. I literally just do it for fun. I tried to get paid by YouTube once and they were like, ha no. Um, I've been doing it for a while now. I just started a couple years ago getting back into it because of COVID. Oh, sorry. I can't say that. The Backstreet Boys reunion tour, as we call it. And um, <laughs> it's my channel's called Mateo's Corner. It's M-A-T-T-A-O. And then Corner has a little pizza guy on there. And um, I play video games. I do discussions kind of similar to this one. So sometimes with some people, Um, I also do live streams uh, currently playing Gollum. And man, is it a thing? So (laughs) it's not terrible, but I probably won't play it again after I put I do want to beat it. Um, And I'm also playing Super Mario World uh, 3D World with the cat suit Mario. Um, That's what I'm currently doing. And then eventually we'll finish Sonic 06. Eventually. Matt Lindsay. Yes. Thank you so much for joining our podcast. Listeners, if you have any comments, questions, or suggestions for, for future episodes, feel free to shoot us an email at independentcreatorstudios at gmail.com. If you like this episode, please write a review and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or YouTube. We'd love to hear your feedback. We're also now on Spotify. Behind the Flicks was created by myself and Ariana. I researched, wrote, and edited this episode. Oh, and research was also done by Matt Lindsay. My name is Aaron Gentile. This has been Independent Career Studios Production.